Hello, everybody. This is Steve Dam. Welcome to The Damn Truth. I know it's been a couple of weeks, but as promised, I have returned with new material, brand new material about a, uh, well, it's a story that uh, I've been wanting to tell for a long time. So I sat down and I wrote it just for you, just for you lucky Damn Truth listeners. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and start talking about it. Uh, this is uh, this is from my, my days um, right in the middle of, of junior high, you know, on the edge of high school. I mean, harken back to those days and, and just put yourself in my, that mindset. And that's, that's where we are. Um, this is going to be a multi-parter, uh, because I, I'm not going to make you sit through all of it. Um, but, uh, let's just get, let's just dig into it. This is called you canoe it. I loved going to summer camp when I was a kid. Look, I, I loved them. These were week-long overnighter summer camps away from my family for the most part and almost always accompanied by my longtime best friend, Dave Johnson. The first camp was Illahi, and I have no idea what kind of affiliation it had. Scouting, church, YMCA, Shriners, Knights of Columbus, no idea. All I know is that the year after Dave and I attended between our third and fourth grade year, it closed down. I do not mean to imply that we had anything to do with that. I can also report that, to our knowledge, nobody died or was lost in the woods during our session week. But as third, almost fourth graders, I doubt we were very keyed into current events. So, with Illahee shut down, and my parents jonesing for one sweet, sacred week during the summer for their motor-mouthed son to be someone else's problem, they hunted for another summer camp option. And they found it at a place called Camp Lutherhaven in the far-away inland empire Idaho land of Lake Coeur d'Alene. Camp Lutherhaven was a little bigger than Illahee, offered more camp-type activities, and huge added bonus was attended by my elementary-slash-junior-high-school crush, Sandy Fairburn. Dave was roped in, and our summer camp adventures would continue, this time with more opportunities to try new things and have fun. And have fun we did. For the next three years, Dave and I, along with various other kids we knew, would enjoy Luther Haven and get into all kinds of hijinks. But those stories are for another time. This story is about my last adventure at Luther Haven, the summer before my 8th grade year, and it was a doozy. What made this year different from past years were a number of things. The biggest one was that Dave wouldn't be there. I can't remember if he had a conflict or if he just didn't want to do it, but he wasn't there. It wasn't like he was my sidekick. I mean, Dave isn't sidekick material. I don't think... I was his sidekick either, which meant I almost certainly was. But whatever the case may have been, I wouldn't have him to lean on during what would be the most difficult camp experience I had ever encountered. The other big thing that set this camp apart was that 
we wouldn't be staying in the relatively safe space of the main Luther Haven campus of cabins. This year, I would be part of a small group of campers that piled into a tiny armada of Grumman canoes to paddle all the way around the rather large Lake Coeur d'Alene and sleeping in small camping areas as we went. The brochure made it sound awesome. And the fact that Sandy would be in on, you know, would be in one of those little canoes made it even more appealing. In order to take full advantage of this unique opportunity to win the heart of this eighth grade Aphrodite, I asked my mother to take me to a real barber for a real flat top buzz cut. The kind all the coolest teenagers from my favorite TV show sported. You know the shows, Ozzy and Harriet, The Donna Reed Show, Father Knows Best, My Three Sons. The television programming every young teenager loved to watch in the late 1980s. Rawl, the barber, did not disappoint. He gave me a crew cut so precise that I would have been automatically drafted into the United States Navy had it been 1941. Sandy would surely find it irresistible. And I learned early on in life that overpacking had benefits that I felt outweighed the negative aspects. I never wanted to be somewhere without something that could possibly be needed. I like having items that are multifunctional as well. My Swiss Army knife does an incredible amount of heavy lifting in these situations. On top of that nimble and useful tool, I planned to stuff my giant water-resistant Army duffel full of useful items. I had a little tent, you know, extra large garbage bags for all kinds of different situations, lots of underwear and socks, toiletries, a small pharmacy of medications, rain gear, bucket hat, camping dishes, kit with utensils, camera, clothing for every climate, barring, you know, Arctic temperatures, toilet paper, canteen, bug spray, sunblock, towel, sleeping bag, pillow, and a collapsible fishing rod with a little tiny tackle box. I think I even brought an extra folding knife. It all fit in my duffel, though the fishing pole case did stick out considerably. And and for a canoe trip, I was ready to rock. And by rock, I meant row. I was ready to rock and row. I know you paddle a canoe and you row a boat, but I really wanted that joke to work. From our town, Luther Haven is about three hours away, and because many kids went to that camp from Ellensburg, carpools were organized for the trips there and back. I'm not sure with whom I rode there with, but I don't think it was with Sandy. I do know that when we arrived there Sunday afternoon, all the campers were organized into the camps and areas where we needed to be, and the canoe trip group was no exception. The camp wisely took everyone's picture the first day when we arrived. Not just because it would be the happiest and cleanest all the campers would look for the entire week, but also to have a current photo to distribute to any search and rescue teams in the unlikely event that a child would wander off unattended into the Idaho panhandle wilderness. Our canoe group took our place in front of the camera as soon as it was complete. In addition to myself, there was, of course, Sandy, along with fast friends of hers, Hillary and Angie from uh, Ellensburg, and two other Ellensburg kids that I knew a little bit were Ross and Colby. 
Colby was in an old play group I was in from the diaper age, so I knew him a little better, I guess, but we hadn't exchanged many words with him living in Ellensburg and me in Kittitas. Ross and Colby were both better at being teenagers than me. Now, Kurt and Casey were two guys I got to know really quickly, and I liked them immediately. They were a little taller, maybe a year older, and definitely brawnier. Um, They'd brought the style of a thin gold chain worn with a nondescript baseball cap from the cosmopolitan fashion hotbed of Bozeman, Montana. Matthew was an old friend I reunited with Uh, there through happenstance from early elementary school, and we got along great. Travis was a kid along for the ride because his mom worked at the camp, and I had met him the year before. He was a little weird, but fine. Last and certainly least was Joseph. The two people in charge of supervising this expedition was Counselor Tim, mid-twenties with a receding hairline, and Gretchen, a German exchange counselor, that probably learned she was on canoe trip duty that afternoon. The remainder of the day, the canoe group learned basic canoe safety and many different paddle strokes to control a canoe while in the water and, you know, what our trip would look like. That night, we would sleep in a cabin at camp, and we would leave early the next morning to canoe around Lake Coeur d'Alene. We would be doubled up in our canoe assignments, and I had all night to scheme my way into Sandy's boat. It was also the last evening I had with a flushing toilet. <clears throat> we, were, we were all smiles the next morning as our group prepared to launch from the camp's beach. The camp director was down to see us off, and the canoes had been preloaded with food and rations from the main camp in heavy-duty plastic milk crates. Um, Each canoe would carry some part of a day's meal. We were given strict instructions to not touch the food. Strict instructions. I don't know what happened when it came to canoe assignments, but it was absolutely clear that not only I not get assigned to Sandy's, but Sandy had taken a liking to one of the other guys on the trip. Awesome. Which, if you've ever been an insecure teenage boy is about as close to the end of the world as you know it as you can get. The The swing from self-hatred to jealousy is as lame a character arc as there can be, and it is certainly unbecoming of a young man or an improver of that young man's mood. Adding insult to injury was that I was partnered up with the kid that I knew the least about, Joseph, which was no big deal. I thought, because I generally got along with people well and made friends quite easily. The first thing I learned about Joseph on that beach as we pushed off the sand and into the lake was that Joseph absolutely didn't want to go on the canoe trip. He didn't think this was going to be fun. He was hungry. He let me know that. He didn't like canoeing or camping, for that matter. And he didn't get enough to eat for breakfast. Those are the things Joseph let me know. Now, Joseph was a little smaller than me, so he sat toward the front of the canoe to basically add a little paddle power while I paddled and steered from the rear of the narrow boat. But by adding a little paddle power, I mean he added little. 
His paddle was certainly in the water a lot as he talked about nothing in particular. I couldn't hear him very well because he was facing forward and I was not interested in any of the things he was saying. His paddle was doing more to slow us down than move us forward after a while. And it was starting to get difficult for me to steer and propel us forward. So I had asked Joseph to pull his paddle out of the water. The group had a lovely first hour or so on the water, laughing and cruising alongside one another. We were making good time, and the early morning was pretty on the lake. It was a little breezy at first, and as the distant dark clouds started to roll in, we noticed the breeze turn into a wind, and that wind was kicking up some pretty intense lake movement. Tim hollered at all of us to get moving, because that day would be our longest leg of the trip um, to our first overnight camp. And the mood quickly changed from lighthearted pleasure cruise to something with more determined purpose. Joseph and I were starting to fall behind. And about two hours into our canoeing adventure, it was starting to get serious. I asked Joseph to start paddling again, and to his credit, he did. It just wasn't moving us forward into the wind where we needed to go. The rest of the canoes somehow managed to make it around a particularly rough point um, out of an inlet. And try as we might, Joseph and I couldn't get around. It took all the canoes far longer to get around the, uh, that point um, that was the object um, than it should have. And a couple boats lingered back with us until they finally made it around uh, with power and or teamwork. I realized that I didn't have enough of either and really poured on the power from whatever reserve I had. I was a little panicked that the group was gone because once around that point, it was much smoother paddling in a semi-protected area. I was incredibly angry at the whole situation. Joseph was useless, and I was convinced I could get the canoe around the point if I didn't have the weight of him in the canoe with me as I paddled. Where the hell had my counselor gone? Surely he would see that he was a boat down. I mean, it had been at least 45 minutes since I had seen anyone else from the group. Even if I could get our canoe around the point, I mean, would I even be able to catch up to the group? I mean, my arms were starting to get really tired. Don't swear at it. Do something about it, Joseph said to me. Now, apparently I had started cursing at myself, the canoe, the lake, the shore, the birds, the rest of the campers, and at Joseph's inability to follow even the simplest instructions. So for a solid hour or so, I had been cursing. I don't know how aware of the swearing I was, but as I tuned into it, I was a little surprised at the quantity and volume of which the swearing occurred. It wasn't the filthy, dirty, sexual type of swearing, but rather the angry, exasperated, and powerful expletives that, you know, are more like dynamite than poison. There's, there's a little overlap in the Venn diagram of naughty words, but swearing has everything to do with context, and the context here was frustration mixed with exhaustion and just a pinch of wanting to break a canoe paddle over the head of the person that just told you that the thing you're doing that they find rather unhelpful is probably also the thing that is sparing them from my wrath. After my umpteenth attempt at piling us around the, uh, you know, the rough inlet area, we 
parked the canoe on the beach in front of a very nice lake house, and I walked up to ask to use the phone. I was very tired, very hungry, and I thought I would call the main camp to see if there was anything they could do to help us out. Or maybe I could convince them to take Joseph to wherever he would have rather been, which was anywhere else. A nice couple let me in to use their phone, and I was able to leave a message with Luther Haven staff that we were having some trouble. Not an emergency, just looking for a little help. I thanked the couple and didn't hang around. I went back out to the beach where Joseph and the canoe was to find that he had helped himself to some of whatever was in our forbidden food crates. Dude, that's not yours. That's for everyone. What are you doing? I asked him. I'm hungry and they left us he said, and he just kept eating graham crackers that looked like the most delicious food I'd ever seen. I refused it, though. I knew we would be in trouble for falling behind, and in recent hindsight that I had called the main camp and asked for help, which wouldn't make Tim and Gretchen's job review exactly sparkle, um, I wasn't going to add food thief to the list. It was incredibly windy now, and swells of water on the lake were around three to four feet high. I am not even kidding. Water was getting all over us, but not exactly swamping the canoe as we made final attempts. And something new was happening to me. The exhaustion gave way to nausea. I was getting very motion sick. My last few attempts to paddle around the cursed point were pathetic. Not just because I was paddling my arms off, but I was doing so between puking over the side of the canoe and into the lake. This was the end of the first half of day one of canoe camp. At least Sandy didn't see me puking. Tim appeared around the bend coming back for us with another canoe and a couple more paddlers. They were able to get us around the point and into slightly calmer waters. That was about the same time the camp director appeared in the familiar Luther Haven speedboat to make sure we were all okay. Tim had a few words with her, and I too let them know all was all right and that I probably prematurely called for help just to smooth it over for Tim and Gretchen because they didn't deserve that extra grief. They really didn't. The rest of the group was not all that far away and had stopped to wait for the lunch that was in Joseph's and my canoe. Once we were there and the crates opened, it was re revealed that there wasn't much left of lunch for them to eat. Joseph pretended to not know what happened to all the food. And I was so out of it with motion sickness and exhaustion that I couldn't confront the little liar in front of everybody. With the group, uh, we had what little food was left. Um, I didn't have much. Uh, either because the sight of food was too much for me or because Joseph had the group believing that I had already had my fill and then, like a jerk, was just wastefully throwing it up into the lake. But anyone looking closely at my vomit would easily be able to see that it was entirely made of eggs and toast, not sandwiches and carrot sticks, Turns out that nobody in that group was interested in working at a forensic crime lab and therefore uninterested in my exonerating bodily fluid. My body was done, yet I still needed to spend the second half of the day in a canoe. Tim wisely broke up the canoeing teams and with an act of mercy put Joseph with someone else. I was 
placed in the middle of Hillary and Angie's canoe, which I certainly didn't argue with. I laid back in the middle of their boat and tried to sleep through the rest of the day's journey. Angie and Hillary worked well as a team, and I was able to paddle only a little here and there. I was having vivid fever dream hallucinations from the exhaustion, several of which I remember well to this day. One was of a small pyramid appearing in the lake, where I walked through to find Elvira, mistress of the dark, guiding me into the pitch-black hallway. There I was chased by the lizard creatures from Land of the Lost, called the Sleestacks. They chased me through mazes, and even when I was awakened by our canoe getting jostled or somebody yelling, I would still fall back into the nightmare. Every once in a while, I would try to politely warn Angie and Hillary that I was about to vomit over the side, and then I would violently retch what little was in my stomach. I had, I made sure to get it all in the lake, though. Nothing came back into the boat with me. I believe Hillary was in the tail of the boat and had to paddle through it and did so like a champ. She did it like a champ. She did it with empathy rather than disgust. It would have been so much easier for them to just whack me over the head with a paddle and let the lake um, ease them of their burden by piloting me around uh, that miserable windy water um, by dropping me, you know, or my body over the side. But they had that night's meal with them and rocking the canoe enough to dump a body would have made whatever dry goods they were transporting wet and soggy. And, And the waves did not stop. I was utterly useless to those two strong women entrusted with one of the first of many times they've had to work extra hard to get some dumb man where he was going. And to drive that metaphor home, they had to paddle against the wind through vomit while listening to him moan on and on about some other woman. In this case, it was Elvira. The three of us fell behind the group And the two young women decided to uh, take a break, either from paddling against the relentless windy lake or from the relentlessly insufferable animated cadaver they were doomed to transport, or probably both. Angie and Hillary helped me out of the canoe and up onto the rocky beach, strewn with driftwood, you know, about a hundred yards from a moderately lovely lake house. And it was a It was a lake house that said, my owners have a lot of money, but they don't spend it on me. After propping me up against a log, Angie and Hillary disappeared, probably to pee or scream about me into the trunk of a dying ponderosa pine. I I wasn't sure. Sitting there on the beach and looking out at the one third of daylight I had left on day one of five of this canoe adventure, a few things were starting to occur to me. The first was that I preferred to be on land rather than in the canoe because my stomach felt better and the nauseous feeling uh, subsided. And as my strength grew, I realized I was hungry after graciously donating the entire contents of my stomach to the fish of Lake Coeur d'Alene. I also realized that although Angie and Hillary were two very bright, strong, kind, 
and empathetic junior high students, they were still junior high students and would most definitely paint a picture of Steve Dam with so much vomit and resentment that not only would they never show any romantic interest in me, but my crush, Sandy Fairburn, uh, you know, back tonight at camp, would be forced to end any relationship before it began. All I had done was try my best to get myself and a nerd with a black hole for a stomach around a corner in a canoe, and I had utterly exhausted myself to a state of, uh, gross... After about 10 to 15 minutes motionless on someone else's private beach, wallowing in a low-hanging cloud of my own shame, I heard Angie and Hillary return to the canoe area. Although I had been wrongly accused of eating most of the day's lunch, which the girls would have known was utterly untrue if they had bothered to inspect my vomit as they paddled through it. It was not lost on me that asking for just a little something to eat would be in poor taste, but I was in bad shape. I had only ever felt that terrible maybe one other time before in my life, and I never cared to be there again. So I threw the idea out there casually, you know, like Bernie Madoff in prison with a simple investment opportunity he's only letting a few close friends in on. Hey, I'm glad you're back. Do either of you know if there's just a little something I could put in my stomach to settle it down? I'm pretty hungry. Uh, they both said as they looked at each other and then back to me. Why do you ask that? Angie finished. Just wondered, this motion sickness and exhaustion has done a number on me. No. Hillary said to me and she gave me a look that was really more final than dirty or annoyed. Um, but I had thought that I really annoyed them because they walked a good distance away from me far enough that I couldn't hear them eating crackers, uh, had they chose to not walk upwind where the crunching sound was carried easily from their smacking lips on the shoulders of the gusty winds of Lake Coeur d'Alene to the hungry ears of a middle school boy finally breaking his spirit as he realized they lied, not because of the wrong they were doing, but of the wrong they had thought that I had done to them. I was pretty pissed at Joseph. Where Angie and Hillary had gone was to ask if they could use the restroom at the lake house. Finding nobody home and believing their need to use a toilet was greater than their need to not be arrested for criminal trespassing, let themselves in to use the restroom of a stranger's house. It would be another three days before I would be on the edge of doing the same thing for the same reason. But on their way out, Angie and Hillary grabbed a few saltine crackers from the kitchen. I doubt any judge would consider that even light burglary. And years later, the women would easily justify the act as something the owners would have graciously offered them anyway. More than likely, yes, but only after the owners mistakenly shot the two women dead. The wind died down, and we decided to get back into the canoe and catch up to the group. I was able to paddle again, despite the lack of crackers in my stomach. I bravely pressed on in hopes of finding the night's camp and possibly a warm dinner for the wrongfully accused. 
It turns out that the rest of the group were right around the bend, just out of sight of us, and someone was even getting ready to come back and see where we had been. By that time, enough people had interacted with Joseph enough to not only apologize to me for thinking I had eaten most of the day's lunch, but to compliment me for not killing him while we were in the situation that made me exhausted and motion sick. Everyone was overcompensating in the Steve's a good guy direction, and that took quite a bit of the sting out of the day. The first day. Oh my goodness, this was only the first day. To be continued in You Can Knew It, Part 2. And in that episode, fishing, donuts, rain, cholesterol tests, I need a bathroom. I make a bathroom. And I'm scared out of my mind, body, and soul. Join us again next week for The Damn Truth. I'm your host, Steve Dam, thank you for joining. If you liked this and, and or other shows, please feel free to share it with a friend. Uh, write a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. That would be very nice of you. Boy, that would be nice of you. And I'll probably see that you did it. And uh, that'll, uh, you know, that just that just make a guy's day. I'm not even kidding. Thanks again. Have a wonderful week.